a Podcast One production. This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. Every week we discuss an issue that is happening around the world. We break it down. We make it easy to understand because a lot of these issues are very complex. And who does it? Dr. Keith Souter. He is renowned in Australian media as a commentator on all sorts of issues to do with international relations and international politics. He's got three PhDs, for goodness sake, in the area. There is no one more qualified. Uh, He's just excellent at breaking it down into layman's terms. So, Keith, we're going to talk about Ukraine today because, well, the Ukraine, most people would go, what? They would not know much about the Ukraine, but it's been front and centre of headlines for a couple of years now. It's ties to Russia, Ukraine being at war with Russia or parts of Ukraine. Mm. But not only that, in the Trump administration, there's been a lot of controversy as of late as well regarding Ukraine. We're going to delve into all of that. So it's 101 today. We're breaking it down for you. Who are they? Why they make headlines? Keith. The article I've been reading is called Ukraine for Dummies, by Ray McGovern. I like Ray McGovern. He's um, uh, worked with CIA for uh, 27 years. So uh, like me, comes at this from a realist point of view, a plague on both your houses when it comes to to politics. And he's created uh, Veteran Intelligence Professionals for Sanity, VIPS. So Ray McGovern is very critical of the way in which Ukraine has been dealt with in American politics. As you say, Ukraine is now top of mind. President Trump is going on trial in the Senate because of the allegations relating to his interfering uh, or getting Ukraine to interfere in American politics uh, with the investigation of Joe Biden. Um, What Ray McGovern is trying to do is just to give a bit of background to Ukraine. Um, so suddenly, as you say, Ukraine is on our radar screen, but in fact, it's been an important issue. So if you go back to the late 18th century, Catherine the Great, the Russian ruler, established Australia's, uh, sorry, Russia's first and only warm water base in Crimea. So Russia under Catherine the Great expands from uh, the northeastern corner, is it? no, northwestern corner, sorry, northwestern corner of Russia and expands south and moves east. And so Crimea is taken over. In 1919, when the Bolsheviks, the communists, took over, Moscow defeated resistance in the Ukraine and the country became one of the 15 republics of the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, USSR. So Ukraine, which included Crimea, is therefore part of the old Soviet Union. In 1953, Stalin has died, has been replaced by Nikita Khrushchev, who who comes from Ukraine. And in pandering to Ukrainian supporters, he unilaterally decreed henceforth that Crimea should be part of Ukraine and not the Russian Soviet Socialist Republic. Um, Mind you, all 15 of those republics were under tight control of Moscow. So the switch was not a a major issue. It's been suggested that Khrushchev made that switch when he was drunk. So he really, <laughs> this is a decision that he made when he was drunk. So he was a Ukrainian who gave Crimea back to Ukraine. But for that time, it really made no difference because everything was controlled from Moscow. In 1989, the Berlin Wall came down. So that's November. In December, in other words, a few days later, President George Herbert Walker Bush, in other words, that's Bush Sr., 
met with the Soviet leader, Mikhail Gorbachev, in Malta to discuss what should be done about Europe. So the Berlin Wall has come down. East Germans are now able to go into West Germany. East Europeans could go into East Germany, which means, therefore, they could get it all the way across, if you're with me, through West Germany into Europe. And, of course, you know, eventually the Poles ended up as a major population grouping in England. Second most common language in England is Polish. So we see that the current crumbling of that wall in November of 89 was very important. So Bush met with Mikhail Gorbachev to work out, well, how do we redraw the map of Europe? And President Bush said to Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev that the United States will not take advantage, in his phrase, will not take advantage of Soviet troubles in Eastern Europe. In other words, that the United States will not try to move east into Eastern Europe. So, okay, the Soviets pull out of East Germany. They have every right to be there because of a post-World War II peace treaty. So the British, the, the Americans and the French still have bases in what was the old West Germany. It's inconceivable that Russia could have retained its Germany's, its uh, German bases in East Germany. But in fact, Gorbachev said, look, we'll withdraw all of that, including, by the way, the young Vladimir Putin. <laughs> this, this is why he's so super neurotic. He was in East Germany when the whole thing fell down. He rang Moscow for instructions. East Germany is falling apart. What do you want me to do? There was no one to answer the telephone. It's the most formative experience of Putin's life. And so now Putin is running Russia and has been running Russia. He has made it quite clear that never again will that occur. Russia is bouncing is, back. Is this when he was a spy? Yeah, when he was working the KGB. So he, the reason he speaks fluent German is because he was getting ready to control Germany. And he gets on well with Angela Merkel because they're both fluent in German because he was trying to get her job, ultimately. So the Berlin Wall comes down, the Russians pull out of East Germany, and Bush says, we will not now move into Eastern Europe. In other words, we will keep the borders as they are at the moment in terms of NATO. And George Bush Sr., to his credit, honoured that promise. Gorbachev made a mistake in not getting it in writing. He should have had a formal treaty at that point. And so... Um, you end up then in February of 1990, that's the following year, uh, with James Baker, the US Secretary of State, negotiating a quid pro quo, the Soviet uh, acceptance of the bitter pill of a reunited Germany. Remember that the Russians and Poles are neurotic about a united Germany because they know the old slogan is, if you want peace in Europe, then Germany cannot be united and Poland cannot be free. We now have a free Poland and we have a united Germany. Keep your tin helmet ready. So the Soviets agreed to Germany reuniting within NATO with an American promise not to enlarge NATO one inch more to the east. That's what? a quid pro quo, it's very, right? Very specific. Very specific, right? The Americans say we will absorb East Germany into this new German state and East Germany will become a NATO partner and Germany is now united, right? This, this scares Russians with their sense of history. The Russians are reassured that NATO will not seek to expand further east. And, of course, in December of 1991, that's the following year, the Soviet Union fell apart 
And so everything remained, you know, in a state of flux until 1996, October 1996, when by this time Bill Clinton is in power and Bill Clinton said the United States would welcome Poland, Hungary and the Czech Republic into NATO. In other words, the Americans had broken their promise. Clinton would say, well, look, that's a promise that was given by a previous president. I'm not bound by Bush's promise to Gorbachev. We want to take in these East European countries into NATO. At this point, the Russians start getting paranoid. Who else is going to be encouraged to join into NATO? Who else is going to be encouraged to join the European Union? And so suddenly we end up then with these problems of the Soviet of Russia now feeling paranoid because a lot of their erstwhile East European allies are now linking up with NATO and with the, the European Union. It's interesting to note that NATO has grown to 29 member countries and all 13 that have grown are east of Germany. And so NATO has doubled in size almost and it's all because they're absorbing the East Europeans. Remember, Australia is not part of that number. We're an associate member. Full members would be all of those in Eastern Europe. So if you're looking at the world from Moscow's point of view, you're feeling paranoid. And they're paranoid anyway. And they're so paranoid they're... <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so the issue then becomes, will NATO be invited, will NATO invite Ukraine to join? And so this is in 2008. And Russia said, no, Ukraine should not. Because don't forget, if, if Ukraine joins up, then that began, begins to create this common border between a NATO ally and Russia itself. So the geography here is very important indeed. Mm. So if Ukraine joins, you would then end up then with NATO forces right on the Russian border in a major country. Ukraine is the, the breadbasket of the old Soviet Union. Very fertile country, very energetic people, but a country that's divided basically into two ethnic groups. You've got the Western Ukrainians who see themselves as uh, Europeans and you've got the Eastern Ukrainians who see themselves as more linked to Russia. So Ukraine is an odd mixture. And, of course, Crimea is part of that um, Russian end of Ukraine. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Suter, who is breaking down for us today the issue of Ukraine. Why has everyone been talking about Ukraine for the last couple of years? What is the country? Why? What is the significance of them? What's their relationship with Russia? And why is Donald Trump, it's, you know, the whole country is on Donald Trump's radar at the moment, has, has actually caused him a lot of headaches as well. Um, so you're delving into all of this, and we've been talking about the geography of it, and you're talking about Crimea, and of course, the issue, the ongoing issue with Russia and Crimea was the reason that a Malaysian airline was was downed, killing many Australians only a couple of years ago, Keith. That's right. So that's in 2014. So when you uh, rely on standard Western reporting of Ukraine, so the first part of this program deals with material you don't normally get in the Australian media. The Australian media, the American media, begin it from 2014. So what we've got then is that in 2014, you end up with rioting in Kiev, the capital city of Ukraine, and the Assistant Secretary of State, Victoria Newland, 
who may well have been Secretary of State if Hillary Clinton had won the last election, in which case we'd now be at war with Russia. So Victoria Newland gives instructions to the American ambassador in Ukraine regarding the US pick for the new Ukrainian prime minister. So the American government decides who's going to become the new Ukrainian prime minister amidst all the chaos in Ukraine. And the American ambassador expressed concern saying, well, what the Europeans might have misgivings about the Americans mounting a coup. And Newland says, I'll have to turn the language down, F the EU. Mm. All this is captured and is now available on YouTube. She apologised to the EU a day or two later (laughs) for the profanity but not for the coup. So she said it was wrong to say the F word, but I'm still glad we organised the coup. But essentially (laughs) my sentiment remains the same. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) And so she says that Vice President Joe Biden will help glue this thing together, meaning the coup. So now we begin to see Joe Biden in his involvement in Ukraine. This is what's got Trump so interested. Because Trump tried to implicate him, didn't he? He'll get it it publicised more widely that Joe Biden was involved in Ukrainian politics. And in particular, Joe Biden's son, Hunter, who gets employed at this time to the Burisma Corporation based in Ukraine, paid a huge salary for doing nothing by being a member of the board. This is what Trump means by investigating the corruption in Ukraine. Mm. So... When this all began in July of this year, July of 2019, President Trump figured that his main rival in November of 2020 will be Joe Biden. So he wanted to start collecting dirt on the Biden family. And Hunter Biden is a son who clearly exploited his father's status as vice president and got himself lined up with these very cushy jobs for which he earned large fees and did very little, if any, work. And so Joe Biden is there organising the coup. And so what is interesting is that February 2014 is really when suddenly the Western media pays attention. Biden is there with the coup. They're bringing to office somebody who's going to be very pro-American and break off the links with, with Russia. And so Vladimir Putin returns in February from the Winter Olympics in Sochi and decides that the people of Crimea should be allowed to decide their own future. So remember, Crimea had moved back to Ukraine at a time when it really didn't make any difference because everything was controlled from Moscow. Mm. Now Ukraine is an independent country and Crimea is part of Ukraine. And Putin wants it back because Uh, Crimea contains the only warm water ports that Russia has. So Russia has a huge coastline, but it's mostly up north and it's mostly frozen. Mm. So this gives it a warm water access to the Mediterranean. It's also the reason why Russia has supported the Assad regime in Syria. They've got no special love for the the Assad dynasty, but they do have bases in Syria, which Mm. again gives them access to the eastern Mediterranean. So... What happens is that the official result, remember we're still in 2014, the official result from the voters in Crimea, they voted uh, overwhelmingly from independence from Ukraine and they voted to join Russia. So everything then turns on this magic year of 2014. So three months later, MH17, the Malaysian plane flying over that part of the world, got shot down. The Secretary of State at that time, John Kerry, said that uh, they 
they've got evidence of how it was all done. It's interesting because at this time, the National Security Agency would have had so many intelligence assets just looking at every blade of grass in that part of Ukraine around Crimea, and yet um, they have not actually supplied any of the information that they've got to suggest whether it was the Russians who shot the plane down or whether it was Ukrainians with Russian equipment that had shot the plane down. So there is still that question mark as to who exactly was responsible for bringing that plane down, which included the deaths of a number of Australians. I thought there was a whole hearing into it in the UN and there was a finding that Russia did it. There was, a yeah. Russia, it was the finding from The from the Hague. Yeah. Because the Dutch have also got involved, yep. Uh. So they're, they're blaming the Russians for it. But again, NSA didn't supply any of their material. What's NSA? National Security Agency. So it's National Security Agency, no such agency, never say anything, depending on what you want it is. They basically record every conversation, as far as we can tell, in the world. They've got the biggest computer system in the world. So although CIA gets the publicity, mm. it's NSA and its related agencies that do the work. And um, this is a whole separate story, of course, but this is what that whistleblower from the United States was talking about, just revealing the remarkable technological breakthroughs that NSA have achieved in terms of being able to listen in on conversations. But anyway, so NSA have not supplied any of that information, but nonetheless, Ukraine and Russia between them have, have shared the blame for this. And it's interesting because Putin is saying, look, I have tried to be cooperative with the United States. The standard example of this was back in 2013. President Obama uh, was being forced to get involved in the war in Syria. He was involved and it was going badly, but he, he was forced to get involved with that war. And somebody and he, he he would not get involved. And so somebody's then said to him, What would force you to get involved in that war in Syria? And he said, the use of gas warfare. And a few months later we get the use of gas warfare, almost on cue. And then Putin was able to get Obama out of the corner in which he'd placed himself by getting the Syrian government to agree to accept the international treaty banning chemical warfare and the destruction of the chemical warfare stocks. So Putin is saying, look, I've done my best to cooperate with these Americans. He may well also, of course, cooperate with, with Trump in helping to win the 2016 mm. election. He certainly helped out Obama. And Putin is saying, I've got so little to show for all my effort. And so Ukraine is going to be very important in the increasing flashpoints. Now, remember, Trump is trying to argue that it's Ukraine that was responsible for getting involved in the 2016 election. Nobody's believing Trump. Mm. If anybody got involved, it's the Russians. Yeah. And Trump is saying, no, the Russians are fine, it's the Ukrainians. God, I can't believe he'd even bother <laughs> with all the allegations against him. Exactly. Wow. So what, where to for here from, from Ukraine? What, what is the, why would we keep watching this space? You've got to keep watching the space. Well, first of all, you're going to get a lot of publicity. Now the president is on trial. So there are going to be a lot of references back to Biden, uh, to Burisma, to Hunter Biden, as well as Joe Biden, his father. There are going to be a lot of references to what they were doing in Ukraine. And also Ukraine remains a flashpoint. You know, if you're going to end up with a war between NATO and Russia, it'll be in Ukraine. Nice work. Lovely. Thank you. This has been Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. It's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Production assistance by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the Podcast One Australia app. 